You're listening to Seed of the Woman, a podcast dedicated to telling the grandest story of all and to exposing the mystery of 666. Seed of the Woman is produced by the Gospel Story Arc Project, using the science of story to better tell who Jesus is. It's your story, too. Hello, everyone. I'm Randall Gilmore. In this episode of Seed of the Woman, I'm going to begin telling Satan's counterstory of the Seed of the Serpent, a story featuring an end-time political leader empowered by Satan to dominate the world as he exploits a number originally meant to point to the Seed of the Woman but which became the number of a man, the number 666. Now, if you haven't already listened to Episodes 1 and 2, I encourage you to go back and listen. Episodes 1 and 2 are foundational. I also encourage you to check out the Gospel Story Arc Project website, gospelstoryarc.org, where you'll find resources like the Gospel Story Arc Cube to help you better tell who Jesus is using the science of story. I'll return after a short break with the beginning of Satan's counter story of the seed of the serpent. Satan's counter story begins before the Garden of Eden with his own rebellion against God. The prophet Isaiah sheds light on exactly what happened using words couched in an indictment of the king of Babylon, who was so controlled by Satan that Isaiah is addressing him and addressing Satan himself. Isaiah wrote, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn! How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low! You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. So Satan tried to make himself like God. And though he failed miserably, he never let go of the goal, evidenced by the temptation he used to bring Adam and Eve onto his side. He told them, God knows that when you eat of the forbidden tree, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Of course, Adam and Eve believed the lie, leading to their fall and to the curses God announced. And here's where things get interesting as far as the counter story is concerned. Satan listened carefully to the curses and he heard God say that the seed of the woman would crush his head. But that didn't grab his attention as much as God's mention of a seed of his own, the seed of the serpent. Unlike the seed of the woman, who would be born without the agency of a human father, Satan's seed would have to be someone of his choosing, 
someone he could animate, empower, and control, just as he had the serpent. And if he succeeded, maybe, just maybe, he could prevail against the seed of the woman and against everyone on his side. And that's been Satan's strategy down through history, to do everything possible to corrupt the world and to rid it of any vestige of the seed of the woman, including murdering him and subjecting him to the curse of having died on a cross. But as we know, Jesus conquered death. He rose again to new life and soon after sat down at the right hand of God, exalted as Lord. And as I said last time, that was the beginning of crushing Satan's head but only the beginning. Since then, Satan has continued to corrupt the world, believing that what happened on the cross was not the epic battle God referenced back in the garden. In Satan's mind, that battle is still to come, when he finally succeeds in bringing his seed onto the scene at the end of the age, as the tyrannical leader of a global, political, economic, and religious system. Revelation chapter 13 calls this system the beast out of the sea, invoking the image of a monstrous mythical creature, but referring to something very real, an alliance of certain governments and their rulers, led by none other than the seed of the serpent. Revelation 13 plainly says that people everywhere will worship the beast. They will, that is, if their names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. In other words, if they are on the side of the serpent, people who have refused to believe in Jesus, he is the lamb who was slain. And the book of life, well, that's God's register of those belonging to Jesus through faith in him. Revelation 13 also says that the seed of the serpent will speak blasphemies against God, will be allowed to make war on the saints and conquer them. He will stand in league with another beast, the beast out of the earth, Yet another monstrous creature, this one standing for a religious system, led by someone who will perform amazing signs, deceiving people to cooperate with him, the seed of the serpent, and even to worship him. Anyone who refuses will be put to death. And in case that threat isn't enough, the religious leader will help the seed of the serpent to implement a coercive economic system, a system that cancels people's ability to buy or sell without a mark on their forehead or on their right hand, the mark of 666. Now all this happens at the end of the age, when the seed of the serpent rises to power over the global systems of both beasts. But just because this comes at the end, doesn't mean it happens all at once, or comes out of nowhere. Satan has been preparing for the end from the time he first heard of the possibility of his seed warring against the seed of the woman cultivating the hearts and minds of people down through history to embrace the beliefs and values associated with 666. Now, it may surprise you to learn that the seed of the serpent isn't the first man in history to exploit the mystery of 666. The first is a man without a household name, and his story isn't well known, though he is the actual champion of a worldview embraced by people everywhere, especially now near the end of the age. What's even more surprising is the fact that 666 wasn't always a sign of something evil. Originally, it was part of the math and science of the solar system and of the stars. It was a number the ancients came to associate specifically with the sun, 
running its course through the heavens, marking off a year as the earth completes one of its revolutions. The simplest calculation, among many others, connecting 666 to the sun involves adding the number 1 to the number 2, to the number 3, to the number 4, all the way to 36. 666 is the sum of those numbers, the numbers 1 through 36. And 36 is one of the numbers the ancients associated with the sun. That's because there are 36 constellations visible in the northern hemisphere, constellations lying along the path that the sun follows in the sky as it completes its circuit through the zodiac. The ancients kept track of this sort of thing. They were experts. When most people hear the word zodiac today, they think of astrology and of just 12 constellations. But there are many more constellations in the zodiac than just the 12. And as I've mentioned, the northern hemisphere features 36 of them. Thus the ancients associated 36 with the sun, along with the sum of its numbers, 666. Now these and many other similar calculations became prime targets for Satan's corruption, as he deceived the ancients into embracing a counterfeit political, economic, and religious worldview, one featuring the sun as its most prominent symbol, contrary to God's original intention. On day four of creation, God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs. Signs always point to something else. And in the case of the sun, the intention from the beginning was to point to the Creator. As the sons of Korah once declared, For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. And here's something else few pick up on. According to the prophet Malachi, God also intended for the sun to be a sign pointing ahead to the seed of the woman and to his glorious reign on the earth someday. Thus Malachi wrote, But for you who fear my name, a sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. It's clear these references to the sun coming from the sons of Korah and Malachi are not literal, but metaphorical. In other words, no one was asserting that the Lord God is the sun, or that the seed of the woman is the sun, but that the sun serves as an analog for both, first to their glory and life-sustaining activities, but also by its heat to the severity of their judgments. But Satan saw in the sun the perfect opportunity to corrupt and counterfeit, and thereby to associate his spiritual power with the number and mystery of 666. And in connection to this, Satan also inspired an entire system of beliefs and values and of symbols and practices, a system that's possible to trace through history, from its beginning long ago, through its development over time, and finally to the very same system of beliefs and values, symbols and practices embraced by the world even now. None of this will be lost on the seed of the serpent when he receives authority from Satan. 
he will be driven to associate himself with the corrupted system to draw on Satan's power and dominate the world. Meanwhile, questions remain. What else can we learn from the ancients about the mystery of 666? And exactly what are the beliefs and values, the symbols and practices that form the worldview it represents? Finally, what does it mean that people are already lining up to receive the infamous mark? The answer to these questions will take us back to the story of the very first man to make 666 his number in open rebellion against God, a chief forerunner of the seed of the serpent, whose worldview back in the day laid the foundation for the political, economic, and religious empire about to take over the world. More on his story next time on Seed of the Woman.